Hello, everyone, and welcome to TNA Policy Podcast, where we are sharing knowledge and empowering nurses. I am your new host, Chastity Shaw. A bit about me, I am a registered nurse based in Houston, Texas. I have a clinical background in critical care. I am a TNA member of District 9 and a graduate student with dreams of advocating for bedside nurses locally, state, and nationwide. So for our new listeners, and our veteran listeners alike. The purpose of this podcast is just to facilitate the conversation about important policy topics that affect nurses, especially our fellow nurses practicing in the great state of Texas. That being said, today we are revisiting a topic covered last year with guest Dr. Sandy Tovar, and that was about full practice authority. Joining us today, however, is Mr. Blake Hudson. He is an Associate State Director with AARP. He has a wealth of knowledge and experience in government affairs and healthcare lobbying and advocacy in general. Blake, thank you so much for being here and discussing this important issue with us today. Today. Thanks for having me. So FPA, um, very important issue, if enacted in Texas, would allow advanced practice nurses, uh, nurses, that is nurse practitioners, CRNAs, clinical nurse specialists, and certified nurse midwives to practice without some of those burdensome government restrictions. Um, research does show that this could increase access for patients and lower costs. How could you uh, expand on this for us and kind of give us some insight into what happened during the last legislative session? Pretty simple, really, at the end of it. It just ends the requirement that an advanced practice nurse um, of those four types, as you described, has to have a, a contractual agreement with um, a physician in order to practice. And and really, in order to do this, this the things that they're trained to do, the things that mm -hmm. they have experience doing, and mm -hmm. and are are certified and licensed to do, uh, so the bill simply would have would have ended that requirement. Um, wouldn't have really changed anything else about the day to day operations of APRNs um, and physicians. It just would have ended that requirement, and we we strongly supported that bill. Right. So, what ended up happening um, with that bill? Where did we get with that? Well, uh, under intense opposition from physician groups, um, they want to you know sort of protect that turf for themselves and maintain that that sort of um, hierarchy hierarchy as they see it in, in healthcare. The bill <laughs> failed to move out of committee, um, which is which is disappointing. But there's there's some physician voices in the legislature that are very opposed. I think oftentimes also Chastity that the the arguments are a little bit loose around you know what what uh what the delegation requirement does and what ending it would really mean and um i think sometimes um it's purposefully obfuscated to to, to confuse members of the legislature and mm. it's going to happen that's really not going to happen i think really what gets missed is that every day across texas aprns are waking up and going to work and seeing patients without mm -hmm. physicians around without mm -hmm. any supervision like 
you and I would think of supervision. Mm -hmm. It's really just this contractual requirement that in many cases can be very, very expensive. Uh, yeah, I agree. Actually, it's funny that you mentioned that because I work um, in a very high acuity. I see you as a bedside nurse and I work with nurse practitioners, one who, which is, I think is a genius. And um, I find myself going to her more than the physician, not that the physician is any less qualified, but she's readily available and I don't see any barriers or any practice reasons as to why I shouldn't. Well, that, and that's exactly right. So what we have is a situation that I think is really disrespectful to APRNs. You have, you have um, folks that are, are highly trained mm -hmm. um, and maybe not the same number of hours as a physician or a physician's residency, but they have a, they have a role in the healthcare system that doesn't, that, that there's no additional value added to it by putting a contract with the physician on it. Right. That, like, like you say, there are many cases where the nurse, nurse practitioner or other APRN is the leader in that sort of healthcare team mm -hmm. or that healthcare scenario. And, but you know, somewhere written down somewhere is that contractual agreement. It's a burden in Texas. It's a disincentive to attracting APRNs to come work in our state. Mm -hmm. It's a disincentive in, to becoming an APRN. You know, if you always have this contractual arrangement uh, hanging over you. It's just meaningless and it's a little bit silly at this point. Right. Well, actually, it can incentivize some of our APRNs to leave the state and go somewhere where there is FPA. That's right. And it's increasingly becoming a problem when we you know we're well over 30 states now that have ended the requirement. Uh, we hope Texas doesn't come in last in getting this done, but <laughs> it is more than certainly the way that healthcare is going. And, right. and that is really simply making the best use that we can out of all healthcare practitioners, wherever they are. We have massive physician shortages. We have massive nursing shortages. We Absolutely. Have, we have healthcare shortages all over the place. Um, right. you know, we, and it's not just a rural problem. It's, it's also an urban problem. Right. So why are we doing anything to limit the, pro the provider supply that we have uh, even further? It just doesn't make sense. Right. Gotcha. And I completely agree. So can you tell us how exactly AARP got involved? Sure. So, you know, about a decade ago, uh, following uh, the Affordable Care Act and this huge expansion of coverage coming out of D.C., we really sort of stepped back and said, OK, what are we going to do to really support all this new people with health care coverage and and all this this need for more health care providers? And really, uh, we we sort of centered on nursing being a big part of that. And so we have an initiative um, that is uh, uh, funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation called the Center to Champion Nursing in America, started about a decade ago. And uh, the aim of that initiative is really to, to support state efforts in better utilizing our nursing workforce and advancing our nursing workforce to meet our healthcare needs. And so AARP really heavily invested in issues around nursing about a decade ago. And this is part of that pro that bigger project, our work in this space. Gotcha. So what stake do AARP members have in this effort? Yeah, you know, AARP represents uh, the 50 plus. Um, and, you know, you're talking about high healthcare users. And um, we, uh, you know, we, we need all hands on deck when it comes to caring for for older populations. We've seen some really cool things. We've seen a lot of APRNs doing house calls now going out oh. and seeing patients. 
which is really great for older people that are that are homebound. Mm-hmm. Awesome studies about what happens when you put APRNs in nursing homes and how the quality of care goes up. So, you know, mm-hmm. we, we really care about all these intersections in healthcare um, that really end up in many cases in the face of that older Texan that's needing that needing healthcare. So we just wanna we want to do the we want to do the easy stuff first, right? So get right. barriers. Well, I think folks sort of miss like you're talking about a concept here, ending this delegation requirement. Right. It doesn't cost the state a dime. Right. Good point. And brings a lot, improves access to care in the state. And it's, right. So you know we're we're all for uh, supporting these sort of really s- simple ideas that. Um, really ought to be pretty popular and should be pretty easy to get done, but she's, you can't estimate the opposition, can't underestimate the opposition. Right. And it's funny you talk about those intersections because we just added a huge one, uh, COVID-19, and we have no idea the long-term consequences and the new dynamics of healthcare that it will bring about, let alone all of the things that we need to do while we're still in the midst of it, like our older Texans not going out and exposing themselves and putting themselves at risk if they didn't have to. Right. Yeah. We're seeing big advancements in telemedicine, telehealth. And uh, in a lot of cases, that's APRNs that are doing that tele those telehealth visits. Right. So, you know, furthermore, just sort of on a personal level, I, I feel like this requirement that we're putting on APRNs is disrespectful. It's disrespectful to the profession. Mm-hmm. And it's particularly disrespectful when we're looking at what demands we put on our nursing workforce mm-hmm. at the time of COVID-19. Yes. And we, really ought to, we really ought to be taking a much bigger step back and saying, what can we do for nursing? What yep. can we do for nursing in, in this next legislative session? Because gosh, they've really, nurses have really stuck with us through this. You are speaking to my heart. It feels so good to hear someone who is not a nurse say these things, because I'm telling you, these are the internal conversations that we have all the time. And even though we are frustrated, we will always get up the next day and go do it again. Um, And I think that's part of what being a nurse is. And so putting that trust for free in our APRNs just seems kind of common sense. But um, outside of the obvious interest that nurses and advanced practice nurses would have in FPA, what would this do? um, Who else would be helped um, besides nurses in this case? Well, you know, I mentioned, I mentioned, um, rural, this is both a rural and an urban issue. So mm-hmm. just sort of talking about the patient populations, you know, so you, you obviously have a big problem with, with getting healthcare providers out to rural areas. We probably don't need to elaborate on that. It's sort of obvious, right. but there's a lot of urban areas that are very underserved, right? So mm-hmm. I'm sitting in Austin and if you look at, you know, where the positions are, and this really became really prevalent during COVID-19, mm-hmm. when you look at it, like the availability of going and getting a test or something like that, or a vaccine. Right. It's like on the western half of town, it's a lot easier than it does in the eastern half of town. So we need more folks. We need more folks that are willing to go work in those areas. So that that's one. The other thing is there are some cost savings associated with with, um, with removing these barriers, both to um, both to the state, also to just sort of the healthcare system in whole. You have to think about this. So, for example, I I spoke with um, during this last session. We spoke with a 
a legislator and, a, and a, a, one of his constituents that runs a clinic down in the valley. And he, and he explained that he pays $10,000 a year for the privilege for him to, to run his practice that he goes to. So that's, that's money that he bakes into his practice mm. that, that either on one hand is going to limit what he can, can do or what, mm-hmm. how he can expand, or is going to pass that cost on to the customer, to the patient. Right. So you're just talking about a lot of unnecessary money moving hands here. Now right. that sort of gets at a part of this issue. Like, I think you have kind of a twofold so you have, a, you have a couple different reasons why physicians fight this so hard. One of them is a, a desire to keep that hierarchy in healthcare, one. But two, there's some physicians out there that are making quite a bit of money doing this. You know, I've talked to APRNs that say, there's this one guy that does it for all of us APRNs in this county. He's retired otherwise, but this wow. is money. And so I, I guess, you know, when, it, when you start to talk about changing laws that would get at someone's you know, sort of side hustle they've set up here for lack of a better word. (laughs) I sort of joke sometimes, you know, a lot of us, when we need a little extra money, we drive Uber and physicians do it. They, uh, they, uh, you know, they take on delegation agreements. That is a, that's a good side hustle. That sounds like some serious potential financial independence there that they could get from nurses. So is there any other, or what are the other arguments that the opposition has outside of potential monetary benefits that they Well, there's have? always this talk of patient safety, but I'm going to tell you, so I've worked around patient safety for a long time. And right. just, we could sit here, Chastain, spend all day talking about whores in healthcare and terrible stories of how people were harmed. But when you look at the evidence, there is no there is no evidence to support the idea that APRNs working without a delegation or a delegation agreement create any any less safe of an environment in healthcare than right. compared to a physician. And this has been looked at over and over and over again. That you know the evidence here is just just stacked up. Right. So, so we get that we get um we, oh gosh that, yeah I'd say I'd say that's probably the main thing. But I don't like to sort of go through these arguments again. But what I will tell you is when you look at the supporters on our side on this issue, mm-hmm. we are so far from just the nursing community supporting this issue. We have right of center, left of center think tanks. We have a vast number of consumer groups. We have faith-based groups, business groups, health insurers. There's even some hospitals that have come out and support now. Wow. And so it's really broad. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what, what, to be sort of candid, what kind of hangs us up is, is our opposition will, will go to those lawmakers districts and they'll get that physician that, you know, is well-connected and they'll go start telling these scary stories about what's going to happen if we let APRNs out of delegation agreements. It's all nonsense. And it's, you know, it's a matter of time. We got to keep, we got to keep up the fight, but it's a matter of time, you know, we're, right. we're, when I first started this, working on this, we were a little under half of the states and now we're over 30 and before you know it, it'll be 40 plus states that have done this. And right. Texas is one of them soon. Right. It's uh, interesting that you mentioned that because I wanted to talk to you about AARP's involvement in other states. So could you kind of compare and contrast? Yeah. So we um we have been involved in, in a number of other of these uh these fights in, in in states and um and engaged in coalitions and 
tried to help, you know, lend our voice, lend our resources where they can be helpful, um, provide expertise where they're needed. Um, I think one of the things that we've seen that it is, is a real winning strategy is to build a strong coalition. And so we've, we've done a lot of that coalition building work in other states and um, we're really committed across the country to the issue. Um, and, uh, you know, Texas is, is obviously a really big part of that being a big state. Now we did see progress just prior to COVID-19. We saw progress um, in, in other big states, California and Florida um, got most of the way there. I think they may still have a little bit of work to do, but um, so we're hopeful, but Texas, um, when it comes to healthcare, Texas can sometimes be a little bit slow to make, make some advancements. I, I think about like the children's health insurance program and Medicaid chip, and, uh, mm. I think we were the last state to do it. So um, sometimes not a great track record, but uh, we'll keep yeah. it up. We are a wonderful state, but we can be stubborn sometimes. And I have definitely practiced um, in several different states as a nurse, including California. And the working environment, I mean, it really trickles down. You, those differences really can be palpable at times. So you did testify, if I'm correct, right? So can you tell us a bit about how that process was and just what you were hoping for when you testified? I think the big thing that I hope for when I testify on this issue, and I've done it a couple of times, is to, to bring across that message of, that's so easy for this to get bogged down into it, a nurses versus physicians fight. Right. And that, that there's a lot more at stake here. You know, mm -hmm. you're talking about the health care for older Texans. Mm -hmm. That's why so many groups like mine, like ARP Texas, it's, we don't have any financial stake in this issue. We don't have any, you know, we just care about good quality, accessible health care in mm -hmm. Texas. And to bring that message. And I, I think it, um, I think it can be helpful um, for some lawmakers to see that, Oh, wait a second. This is much more than just nurses versus physicians. Right. Right. And it should be always a collaborative um, effort. I know when I've had those good working relationships with physicians, it has been just a dream to have. I mean, teamwork makes a dream work, right? Sure. And that, you know, that's, a, that's another one of the arguments that sort of bugs me that you, I'll just speak to real quickly is that mm -hmm. what, what our physician, uh, what our physician groups will, will, will bring to the legislature is, oh, isn't team-based care the best care? Shouldn't we have a healthcare team? Which sort of is is prompting at the idea that ending the delegation requirement, creating full practice authority, is somehow ending the healthcare team. Right. Well, the notion that one member of the team has to be contractually and financially obligated to another member is just sort of, again just offensive. <laughs> yeah. That's not yeah. that's not how you build teams in healthcare. And there's right. research on this stuff. That's not you don't build teams by contractual and financial agreements. Mm -hmm. You build teams by 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 seeking out other opinions and by mm -hmm. respecting other members of the team. And I don't think that this is just respecting other members of the team. Right. Completely agree. And you know, you have brought up older Texans uh, several times throughout this conversation. And I think it just is important to emphasize that our population, our boomers, they're getting older. Um, and likewise, 
those boomers that work in healthcare as physicians and nurses and every other professional are retiring. So we have a population that will require more health care and will also be leaving the workforce. And so these are really, really important things um, to think about objectively. That's right. I mean, you nailed it. And a lot of that is, is primary care, mental health, mm. um, you know, and a lot of that is stuff that our parents are doing. Absolutely. Completely agree. So what other health initiatives is um, AARP working on that nurses could support? Sure. So obviously, as, a, as an organization that um, the, the work has a mission focused on older, uh, older folks, we, um, we care deeply about what happens in long-term care, um, we're on long-term care quality. Also around um, ensuring that our long-term care workforce, in, which includes uh, nurses, a lot of certified nurse aides um, are adequately paid for the jobs that they do. Um, mm. So that's the fight that we continue to have in the legislature, um, making certain that additional funds that go to long-term care go to uh, benefit quality and go to benefit, go to, go to additional pay for what is oftentimes lower paid workers in, in um, nursing facilities. Um, so that's a, that's a big mission for us. We've been big supporters of um, um, telehealth expansion in the state um, over the last several sessions. And I think that generally the healthcare community has been very supportive there as well. Um, so yeah, you know, that kind of stuff, access to care. We obviously were very supportive of expanding the Medicaid program um, to that gap population that isn't covered right now. Um, so we, uh, you know, we take a really comprehensive view of healthcare and, um, and uh, I, I think um, it's often very aligned with the nursing community. Awesome. So for those of us who are really passionate and really opinionated, um, what steps can we take to become active participants? You know, that's actually, I think that's the right question. And it's really the right question here. It's, it, because that's one of the places in this fight for full practice authority that, that we really, we often sort of we don't do a good job matching the physician groups. Um, and that is bringing out those grassroots voices from back in the districts, mm -hmm. right? So, so when we know who's the members, who are the members of the public health committee gonna be for the next legislative session, we need to know where the nurses are in those communities so they can come out with very loud, very consistent voices mm. in support of this effort. Because the physician groups do it, they do it overnight, they're, they're prepared, and they, they, you know, they, they just rev up the machine quickly. We need nursing to rev up that machine really, really quickly and strongly going forward as well. Um, I know nurses are busy. Nurses are tired. <laughs> but to add a, yes. To add this kind of advocacy on there. But, but I really think it's going to be that a little better job on that back home grassroots front in those districts that's going to help us help us move the needle a little bit more. I've heard stories about it. I've heard stories from lawmakers say, I didn't really understand until I went and visited so-and-so's clinic and I, I, I got it. There's no, there's right. no it's just APRNs. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So, and we have right. the numbers. There are a lot of nurses. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Well, Blake, you have been 
Absolutely awesome. Um, you are an obvious ally um, of nurses, and that is something that I appreciate. Seriously, I appreciate deeply. So we thank you for spending some of your time with us today, and we hope to speak with you again in the future. Well, thank you, and thank you to all the nurses out there. No problem. And to find out more about this issue and others, please visit us at texasnurses.org or you can follow us on social media. We are at Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the handle is Texas Nurses Association. All right. Thanks again, Blake. Take care.